Good evening and welcome to our Bible study and we're continuing in the book of Revelation this evening, Revelation chapter 17 verses 1 through to 14. Let's read those passages together. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of their adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, and she was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This type was written over her forehead. Mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And then I saw her, when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads, seven hills on which the woman sits, they are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these words, and again we ask that you will just guide us by the power of your Spirit, and that as we do this, we do it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, <clears throat> Just to remind ourselves that we've already uh, read from chapter 16 about God's judgments of the people, the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. And in those verses, we have confirmation that God is right and worthy to administer his justice. Why? Because he is the true God and he is the Holy One. In Revelation 16, 13 and 13, uh, Thirteen through to fourteen, we are introduced to the sixth bowl. Then 
I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. I want us just for a few minutes to think about what we've just read in these verses. Remember we looked at them last week and I want us just to be reminded of the symbolic language that's being used here in the book of Revelation. You see, these verses are not referring to literal frogs that come out of the mouths. So why use the word frogs? Well, we're told what they actually are. We're told that these so-called frogs are impure spirits speaking through the mouths of the dragon, who we know is Satan, the beast, who is an agent of Satan, and the false prophets, who are and who is those who encourage people to worship Satan by way of worshipping the beast. If we go back to Exodus, you remember that we have the, the, the plagues, and one of the plagues was a plague of frogs. They were literal frogs, real frogs. So let's just remind ourselves of what happens there, way back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand and your staff over the streams and canals and ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. You see, in an attempt by Pharaoh's so-called magicians to challenge God, they were able to imitate some of the things that God was doing by the hands of his servants, Moses and Aaron. We read the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. You see, each of the plagues that God delivered, it was a demonstration of who God is. God was showing Pharaoh and the people who he was, but it was also a demonstration of the worthlessness of the so-called Egyptian gods. You see, the Egyptian goddess Hecate was the goddess of fertility, and she was the bringer of new life. She was said to have the form of a woman with a frog's face. You see, whatever powers Pharaoh's men had, their power was limited in their efforts to mimic God's power. The words spoken by the dragon, the beast, and the false prophets are the voices of impure spirits. And those voices were being used to marshal the forces of the world in an effort to defeat God. By deception and mimicry, they claimed that they and not God, are the ones who are worthy of being worshipped. John and the first readers of Revelation would understand the significance of the allusions that we have to the words of the Old Testament. And they would see the relevance that they have to the last days in which they were living. The days in which we are living
See, the last days are here, but the last day is still to come. Well, let's just stay for a moment in Revelation 16, verse 17, that we looked at last week. The seventh angel poured out his bowls into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. This loud voice from the throne is from the throne of God. This is the voice of God. Whether it was God the Father or God the Son, we're not told. But it was the voice of God. What was it doing? It was announcing the dawning of the last day. Echoing the words of Jesus from the cross when he said, It is finished. That meant that the sacrifice had been made. The sacrifice was offered. It was being accepted. Names were going into the Lamb's Book of Life that was opened now here in Revelation. It is time for the book to be closed. It is done. This passage in Revelation 17 that we're looking at this, this, this evening, it actually starts in verse 1 of 17. It goes right the way through to verse 21 of chapter 19. It's a big section of Revelation. In it, John is being given more information about that final day of judgment. In his vision so far, he's seen what will happen during the church age. That is the time between the ascension and the return of Jesus. Much of what he has seen has included allusions to the Old Testament. And these uh, are to demonstrate and to show us that God is and has always been in control. Now, as well as the relevance of the things that happened in the days before the advent of Jesus and the things that are happening in our day, John's visions have taken him into and beyond world history, into eternity showing us that God will always be in control. So Revelation 17 verse 1 and 2, we have the condemning evidence of the need for God's judgment. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. This phrase, who sits by many waters, it's a way of saying that she has many nations under her control. And the passage goes on. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Again, let's just consider this. Let's think about what is being said here. Kings of the earth... These kings of the earth are world leaders who have influence on society. It mentions this prostitute, irrespective of financial status. The aim of a prostitute is, as well as alluring people under her power, it is to gain financial gain. And her purpose is to make herself attractive so that she can lure people towards her. This language is about spiritual enticement designed to turn people away from God. Throughout the Bible, the reference to adultery is sometimes used um, in a sexual way. But it's often used in a spiritual way. Uh, 
referring to the unfaithfulness of God's people towards him. Revelation 17, verse 3 and 4. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable, abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. First of all, in these words, the desert, as we've already seen, as well as being a place of danger, is also a place of protection for God's people. Remember when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, once they were set free, they were led into the desert. That was a place where God took his people on their journey to protect them and to prepare them for the promised land. The wilderness was where the Spirit took Jesus to face Satan's efforts as he tried to distract Jesus from his mission. And remember the woman here in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12, the woman who is the uh, symbol or the symbolic reference to the true church. Revelation 12 verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. In the same passage of Revelation 12 in verse 14, speaking about this same woman, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she will be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the snake's reach. This is the illustration of God's protection, his protection of his universal church as the church travels through the evil days towards the final day and the day of his return. So in Revelation 17, John is taken into the desert where he will see the woman who is representative of the enemy of the church, the one who is masquerading as an alternative to God's church. Now she was sitting on a scarlet beast covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Who is the beast? And we need to go back again to Revelation 12 and in verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. You see, this is the one who pursued the woman who symbolised the birth of God's church with the intention of destroying her and he fails but in seven, verse 17 of chapter 12 he diverts his attention where well we read and the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring those who keep God's command and hold fast their testimony about Jesus this is God's church. And here in chapter 17, this beast, this dragon, is accompanied by a woman. And who is she? Well, we know that she's very attractive. She's dressed in royal regalia, purple and scarlet. She's glittering with 
gold and precious stones and pearls, an image of material wealth and social standing. So to some, this could be a reason for them to follow her. But these claims by this woman are false claims. And we read who she really is. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. A gold cup. You know, the gold cup might <clears throat> look attractive. But the question is, what does the cup contain? Let's move on to this. Five and six in Revelation, because after seeing this vision, John is confused. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. <laughs> Babylon, here. We have to just consider it for a few moments because Babylon is referred to in parts of Revelation as being a city. And here it is referred to as being a person. Now this confirms to us that it is symbolic, symbolic of something other than a geographical place or a particular person. We must see it as a spiritual reference to the worldly forces that become the things that are presented to us for us to put our trust in. Things that we are to have a hope in and to see as being secure rather than to receiving the hope and the security that God offers to us when we put our trust in his gospel. Her full title is written on her forehead. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. The enemy of God's people. Now to John, this is a mystery and he's astonished by what he sees. We've come across this word mystery before in Revelation. Revelation 1 way back in chapter 1 and verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, seven stars are the angels. And in Revelation 10 verse 7, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets, John is surprised at what he's seen. Maybe he's even impressed by what he saw. And maybe he was surprised by how tempting this enemy was in her efforts to allure God's people away from God. Verse 7 through to 11. When the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, was now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world 
will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. Notice that phrase there. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. The beast is an imitation of God's authority, an imitation of Christ's position, and an imitation of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The beast's so-called rising ends not in life, but in destruction. The beast's mortal wound that appears to have been healed was inflicted when Jesus died and rose again. Revelation 13, verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with the wonder and followed the beast. You see, part of the mystery is that salvation came through the suffering of God's Son and that the church would be called to endure suffering on their journey to eternal life. I want us to just look at a verse from Paul. The words he said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 when he spoke to the church at Corinth, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, we see the mystery that is just foolishness to the unsaved, but it's a revelation to those who put their trust in Jesus. And verse 9 of our passage, Revelation 17, this calls for a mind with wisdom, the seven heads of seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. You see, these verses telling us here that the answers come to those who follow God's wisdom and do not follow the wisdom of the world. We look for our answers in God's world and not in what the world would have us see. Revelation 17, 12-14 The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but who, for one hour, will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose, and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. At this point, I think it will be beneficial if we apply some of God's wisdom and not be led down the road of trying to look for the rise and the destruction of a literal city called Babylon, or to search world history and present-day history in an effort to apply specific names to these kings or countries mentioned here in these words of Revelation. What we know is that th their purpose is to aid Satan in his attempt to defeat the power 
of Jesus and remove his church from the face of the earth by whatever means he can. As you've seen already, our search for answers is found in the word of God and while we will not understand it all, we know that God is in control, that Jesus will return and that we will one day be with him in glory. A word for us as we draw to a close this evening from John, this time from the letter he wrote to the churches before he was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. A time when Empress Nero and Domitian persecuted the church as they made claims of being Lord and God. Many such men have come and gone, and some are here, and some are still to come. Revelation 17 verse 14, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. So that passage I just mentioned from 1 John 2, it's verse 12 through to 29. I want us to finish with these words as we consider them in the light of what we've heard this evening. John said in his letter, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desire pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last Excuse me, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Can we just close this evening by adding our Amen to those words. As we thank God for his presence with us, we say, Amen.